This podcast is sponsored by THX, a globally renowned brand focused on delivering premium entertainment experiences and is passionate about telling the stories of the creators behind great productions. Find out more at THX.com. There is a boy who is just like other boys until one night he sees from his window a storm on the horizon. All of a sudden, at three years old, Owen vanishes. The doctor says, let me explain what autism is. Some of the kids don't ever talk again. I remember thinking, I'm just going to hold you so tight and love you so much that whatever is going on will go away. We're beginning to give up hope. And one day, we're watching the Disney animated movies. And he says he doesn't want to grow up like Mowgli or Peter Pan. What the hell just happened? And all of a sudden, it became clear to us. He's using these movies to make sense of the world he actually is living in, our world. So at that point, we began to speak to him in Disney dialogue. When did you and I become such good friends? Whatever works to get to Owen. I've been scared my whole life of growing up. Peter Pan doesn't want to grow up because when you grow up, you lose all your magical and childhood times. My hope is that he is independent enough to be able to grow older on his own. Thank you, Roger, for taking the time to talk with me today about your film, Life Animated. How has it been to follow your film throughout the festivals and get it out into the world? It's been an extraordinary uh, and rewarding experience because I, you know, we premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, um, which is always really exciting. And, um, and but it, that's the beginning of, you know, the Sundance is very intense, but it's the beginning of a long haul. And here we are now in almost in December. And uh, I have traveled the world, um, not just across the country, but around the world, um, sort of screening the film with um, audiences, sometimes as, you know, 1,500, 1,700 people, um, often with the Suskind family and Owen, the um, subjects of the film. And it's been um, it's been amazing. What what have you found in terms of the story? How it's changed people's perception and just fascination with the subject because it, it is something that is a little unknown. I mean, I'm very aware of autism, whatnot, because my wife is a speech pathologist who works with kids with autism. But for anyone, anyone else, it's an incredibly complex or it's a hard thing to grasp. What have you found? People's reactions have been just to the subject matter. Um, I think people have really the the reactions have been varied because you have the autism community and um and also people living with autism and you have people who have no connection to autism and so for people with no connection to autism they really um a lot of times come up to me and say i feel like i understand it now much more than i ever did um because the whole point was about getting inside Owen's head and telling the story from the inside out, from Owen's point of view. Um, people um, from the autism community, it's sort of a breakthrough in therapy because th- the Suskinds inadvertently stumbled upon a sort of a new form of therapy that there's now being called um, uh, 
affinity therapy, which is really connecting to someone with autism through their passion, through their affinity, through the thing they focus on. Often people with autism will focus on one thing and, um, and that obsession um, becomes a pathway to um, to unlocking and connecting the way the Suskinds did with Disney um, animated classics. Uh, so, um, and then um, people living with autism come up and they see Owen as a hero who has who represents them. And um, I've done even interviews with people on the spectrum who are saying said to me, "This is the most authentic um, representation of who we are and what goes on." in our in our heads and that was my goal and like that's the greatest compliment his motor skills were deteriorating and then his language processing broke down he just started reciting this gibberish it was hard for me to understand what people were saying they were all garbled It's like we're looking for clues to a kidnapping. Someone kidnapped our son. And something that the film captures really well is helping people understand, the audience understand, the perspective of Owen from the sense of how he might imagine the world. And obviously this is through the vehicle of these wonderful Disney films that are laid throughout the film to kind of help illustrate the story. What did you find when you went through the process of the film from you know pre-production, production into post, how you wanted the audience to perceive that perception when it came to the musicality and, and, and the audio and how he was visualizing and hearing his world? Oh yeah, audio was was um, key. It was as important, um, if not even more important, <laughs> than visual for me because Owen, there's different levels to the 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 sort of audio experience of the film. Owen, the, the songs of and the music of Disney is as important to Owen as the um, as the as the the uh, you know the sort of animated um, visuals. Um, Owen used, uses the song and the, and the, and the music and, and the lyrics to make sense and understand um, the world. And he, and he often um, sings and plays the songs um, from Disney. I mean, he plays it as much as he plays, you know, the clips that he watches, you know, pretty much all the time. And so, so that was really important. And then for me, um, the sound design and the um, was um, really sort of a, an important key to unlocking uh, who Owen is um, and his inner world, and um, and that was a a, a pretty extensive uh, process that I that I went through even before I started shooting. I thought about the sound design. I thought about. Um, the soundtrack and how um, how was I going to unlock um, sort of this noise of all these films that in Owen's head that Owen says often play at the same time. The child with autism is easily overstimulated. They don't filter the constant stimuli that come in on a daily basis. This world is just too intense for their brains. And that's always what I felt about Owen. 
especially when he was a tiny baby. You know, the vacuum cleaner would go on, the, the visual stimulation, the auditory stimulation. So imagine how difficult it would be to just do the simplest things if you have this constant noise in your brain. Colin. 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 Colin Did you have um, your sound team, which I guess here Skywalker Sound, you had Pete Horner and Al Nelson working with you. Did you bring them on early on or how, when did they come into the process? Met with um, Pete and Al before um, it was, let's see, before we started shooting, um, Mm -hmm. it was a... At Sundance, um, uh, was it 2014? So it was um, uh, before anything happened, one of the first meetings was the team at Skywalker and Pete and Al. And um, we, so we pretty early, I mean, very early, you know, before we even started thinking about um, uh, how we were going to collaborate and, and, and you know what we were gonna what we were gonna do. So that was that was, and that was really important to me. Um, that that meeting that I had sort of put the sound design, um, the sound mixing, that team, um, and everyone at Skywalker that they were in place, because um, that was part of the con- conceptual idea of what I wanted to do in the film. I wanted to create an immersive experience where people were immersed um, in Owen's inner world. And in order to do that, I had to take them on a, um, a journey um, of, um, of, of sound. And in order to do that, I needed to have a great and amazing team like Al and, and Pete in place. Yeah. And another aspect of this film, besides the Disney clips, is this animation that I guess you know, was done by McGuff. How early on did you know that you wanted to go that direction? And, and because there's some fantastic moments in there where the music, um, which was so elegantly done by Todd Griffin and Dylan Stark, a really nice interpretation of taking his stories and taking the audience through that journey. And, and one of them I thought, which was really nice, was the, the Land of the Lost Sidekicks sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you kind of dream up these, these scenes? Well, those scenes were actually created by Owen. Um, so the so Owen so the Life Animated was a book by Owen's father Ron Suskai, and um, the last chapter in the book it was is the Land of the Lost Sidekicks, written and drawn by Owen, and and it's Owen's autobiography really, and Owen creates villains that correspond to the challenges he has in his life, and um, these. Um, these villains he he creates and draws uh, are symbolic. Um, the one in the film we meet is Fuzzbutch, which is symbolic of the autism because he makes your head fuzzy. So, um, you know, what does Fuzzbutch Fuzzbutch sound like, and what does it sound like when he attacks you in your in your head? Was you know sort of key. And Owen drew Fuzzbutch. He was a he's a villain that Owen had created. Um, there were many. There were the other villains that corresponded to his being bullied in school but um we you know we we forsake we had we had to take that chapter and we sort of you know whittle it down to um once one story the land of the lost sidekicks which we told in the film in three parts and to do the audio um that was that was the 
kind of the most extensive work because that was um, uh, Dylan Stark um, did that and Dylan did that, you know, working with Al. And um, uh, one of the things that was important to me was that the sound design was by um, this and the soundtrack was done by someone who was Owen's contemporary, who was Owen's age, who was Owen, who had the same influence as Owen. And um, it all started <laughs> because I read an article in the New York Times um, about a, an electronic um, producer named um, Porter Robinson. And it was a profile of Porter Robinson, who was 23 years old, who used video games and um, animation in th which he grew up on in, the, in his music and created this really deeply emotional, complex, layered sound. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is exactly what I want for the film. So I contacted his, um, his agents and producers, and, um, but he was on a world tour um, and is a very, you know, sort of big um, uh, superstar in the sort of DJ electronica. And so um, um, uh, the label, another label said, um, well, we have another 23-year-old genius um, in Portland named Dylan Stark. And, um, and the minute I heard Dylan's complex sort of layered um, um, comp music, I was like, this is it. And Dylan grew up watching Disney animated films and what Dylan did was he took um, all of the um, he took the audio from di these Disney animated films he took Owen self-talking he took the sounds of like VHS tape fast forward and rewinding and worked with um, Al who did like sort of did um sort of natural Foley work in the woods and um, in old houses and really what they did was they you know created a, um, a sort of just this sort of rich experience that was that was it was really about you know taking all of these films um, all of these sort of noises that Owen hears in his head and, 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 and bringing them to life and doing it in a way that you're completely immersed in it. That's great. One of the, one of the fantastic scenes that I love how it really evolved was just the Jafar Iago scene. You're really showing the audience how he's using movies to make sense of the world. How did you manage kind of the, the understanding that you would be able to use all the footage from all these Disney films? How early on did you reach out to Disney knowing that you'd need to really leverage so much material from their archives? Um, I reached out pretty early on. Um, I had a connection to an executive at Disney named Sean Bailey, who was the, is the president of Disney Productions and um, through the Sundance Institute. And um, he's a trustee on the board. And um, and so I started, you know, which was also important um, to reach out to Skywalker because they were part of the Disney family. And um, and there was uh, and that it was, you know, sort of um, so that became so Skywalker became sort of my early on before even shooting became my um, dream place. You know, it's always yeah. been my place to go. <laughs> and work so um uh and um and so and so i worked i spent you know we spent my producer julie golden and i spent like a year really cultivating that relationship with disney and um working through all the issues and 
in the end, Disney really um, believed in the project and they believed that in the the message and that and also that it was it was important to them that 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 I'm you know an independent filmmaker, but um, um, and I think it was kind of unprecedented that they let Owen interpret um, their, 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 their characters and, and in the land of the lost sidekicks and redraw them and intermingle them. You know, this was all new concepts for them. Mm -hmm. Um, but they were just impressed with the book and, um, and, uh, it was, you know, it's many, it's, it's a lot of, it was a lot of meetings and conversations with legal and marketing and all the people at Disney. And, um, they, um, in the end really got behind the project. And I think, um, you know, Owen had also had a had developed a relationship with various animators and people at Disney um, through Jonathan Freeman, who was the um, first person he met by just standing at the stage door of Mary Poppins and writing a letter to him um, saying, you know, I'm an autistic kid and I I loved you as Jafar. He's the voice of Jafar. And and I um, and I. And he called him on his birthday. Ron arranged for him to call him, and, and that that opened the door. Jonathan introduced him to all of these sort of big, you know, from Alan Menken to you know. I mean, at our premiere in New York, Owen and Alan Menken did a medley of Disney songs to sing. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I go up to his room. I see Owen on the bed flipping through a Disney book. And I see, sort of over to my left, I see Yago, the puppet. Now, Yago is the evil sidekick to the villain Jafar from Aladdin. Now, I know Owen loves his puppet. Jafar! Jafar! Get a grip! I grab the puppet, I pull it up to my elbow, and I begin to crawl across the rug as quietly as I can. And Owen turns to the puppet like he's bumping into an old friend. I say to him, Owen, Owen, how does it feel to be you? And I said, not good, because I don't have any friends. Now I'm under the bedspread, and I just bite down hard. You know, I just say to myself, stay in character. And I say, okay, okay, Owen, when did you and I become such good friends? And he said, when I watched Aladdin, you made me laugh. And then we talk, uh, Owen and Yago, for a minute, minute and a half. It's the first conversation we've ever had. And then all of a sudden, I hear him say, I love the way your foul little mind works. That's the next line of dialogue. That's Jafar, the villain, to his evil sidekick, Yago. I love the way your foul little mind works. And then I run down and grab Cornelia. I'm like, he's memorized all the movies. I mean, he's memorized them all. If you throw him a line of dialogue, he'll throw you back the next line. And at that point, it was like a a window opened, like a light went on. And we began to speak to him in Disney dialogue, the whole family. 
Yeah, I mean, even even just the short scene of of having Guilford Godfrey is such a memorable and fantastic opportunity for the audience just to see that the importance and the impact that has had on the community and just everyone. It's, it's- yeah, um, and you know, Gilbert has been on the road with us um, since Sun. You know, he was him and Jonathan were at Sundance, and Gilbert yeah. has done been on the road and done a lot of appearances with. The film right. Gilbert and Owen are like a team, you know, they're just like <laughs> now they're old, they're good friends, you know. You know, yeah. says, my buddy Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And one one of the things I, I really liked about maybe you can just kind of give me some background which I read about, which is, you know, with Owen's interviews of really having him break the fourth wall, but that was really a way for you to have him connect with not only you with the camera, but also the material. I I know that a lot of times kids with kids with autism in terms of keeping eye contact or really keeping them engaged can be challenging. How did you come about with the process of having him look straight into the camera? Um, it was a process, you know, it was um, sort of a, as I started to think about the film, I started to think, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to tell the story from Owen's perspective, from Owen's point of view. And I wanted Owen to sort of narrate the film himself. And so that was like, it was like, how do I do that? And, um, and, um, and then I, you, then I thought of, yeah, then I just thought of the Interatron and, you know, the camera that Earl Morris, um, uh, I- invented and kind of, you know, made famous, um, and, um, and yeah. thought like, well, this is great because Owen spent his whole life watching a screen, watching a character on a screen. And um, he interacts with that screen because he mouths the words and interacts with those characters his whole life. So if I'm on a screen, Owen is going to respond to me very differently than if I was sitting there and he wouldn't be able to make keep on contact with me and, yeah. and keep focus. But the first time he saw me on an, on the screen and the Interatron and, you know, and the cameras on the other side, he's looking directly at the audience. He was like amazed. He was like mesmerized. He was like yeah. Roger <laughs> on the screen talking to me. And he just would look through me directly in the eye and answer his, you know, tell his story and answer questions. And it was amazing. And, and I kept him engaged by switching to a, um, one of the all-time greats. So I had sort of like his, you know, like his like, you know, 20 favorite clips lined up. And this this was over days that I did this, this Interatron thing. And I, um, and I would, you know, we talk about his life a little bit and then, um, and then he'd watch a clip and, and to, and then he'd interact with that clip. So, so, and this is something I didn't know would work and I didn't realize the power of it you know, until I saw it and, you know, and he, you know, he would mouth the words as he does in the film, you know, he mouths the words to the screen and to the audience. And you're going back and forth from the clip to him, like mouthing the words, you know, and you're inside the clip. So, so you have this sort of effect of that you're inside his head. And that was like, when I saw that, I was like, wow. And even when he does the movements, of the um, um, Peter Pan sword fight, and he kind of yeah. does the sword fighting, exactly, exactly, and his and his reaction to um, the hunchback um, bullying to scene um, is like, you know, like the the look on his face, the emotion. It was like I was like I was like blown away, and then 
and then we could watch a scene and then he could talk about it and explain what it meant to him and what it meant to his life and i was and i was like well this is the way to have this is exactly the way to have owen take us on the journey through his life and through his story and this is the way that he can do it and feel connected by using disney clips and by him addressing me on the screen and therefore addressing the audience and he's the only one in the film that looks directly into the camera everyone else is traditional yeah i love just the additional connection that you get with owen through that approach i think it was incredibly effective and also i guess lastly just going back to the music there's some fantastic just very subtle nuances that you guys placed in there throughout when you when you are talking about some of the more serious moments of like when he was first diagnosed or the being bullied and getting his house burned down how did you kind of decide when it came to spotting of how much music you wanted throughout the film how much collaboration back and forth did you have with with your guys oh with with todd and you know a lot of that's you know Todd, you know, Todd is a very, Todd Griffin is a very experienced composer. And um, he, um, and there was a incredible um, collaboration and back and forth with Todd. And, and Todd really, you know, mentored, you know, um, uh, Dylan, because this was Dylan's first time. So right. a lot of, there was a lot of sort of spotting and feeling and figuring out, um, you know, how when we wanted to use um you know the score and how and 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 the the you know sort of not being overbear you know i don't i don't like scores that sound scory like documentaries <laughs> like but okay sure i'm like i don't want this to sound like a documentary i want this to sound like a fiction film and feel like a fiction film and feel like you're immersed in the story, not that you're emphasizing any any particular emotional feeling. And so, um, for me, it's about being more subtle. So it was, um, you know, it's a it's a long process, and I spent, um, you know, and and again, you know, I bring in those that collaboration with Todd Griffin, and um, we, you know, really like at the beginning. You know, so so Todd is on the journey with us as we are as as um my editor David Teague and I are, um, and David is a just amazing at working with um with sound and 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 sort and sort of you know spotting and he was just so so we were just in this like collaborative creative groove that went back and forth all day long. That's great. For months. So it was really, um, it was really, it was really exciting. And Todd could really help Dylan, who was, which was, it says, because it was his first film, even though he had studied um, uh, film um, in, in scoring, he studied this whole thing in, in school, composing. He studied film composing in uh, college. So that was his major. But, um, but he hadn't, you know, he hadn't done it. Um, and so, he, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to put someone as experienced like Todd. I, I like the collaboration of having someone as super experienced as Todd with someone who was sort of bringing this sort of freshness and newness um, like um, Dylan as a first time composer. That's awesome. Well, Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about your film. I guess for people who haven't seen it, it's fantastic that you have it both online and on demand, but it's also going to be in theaters. What's the plans for theatrical? 
so oh, released so we, now. We opened theatrically this um, this summer. So we right. um, we played theatrically this summer all across the country, and now are on Amazon and then iTunes, and you can buy the DVD on Amazon as well. Um, and uh, so it's widely available now. Um, people should should That's rent it, and, and we'll be um, we are um, uh, you know right now our our theatrical is um, in around the world. So we're opening in the UK. Um, I don't know if you're, this is an international podcast. Yeah, we're opening yeah. in the UK on December 9th. Great. Um, so we'll be in theaters all across the UK and we will open all around the world, um, um, all over Europe, um, following the UK, um, in Scandinavia and, um, uh, and then in the beginning of the year, um, Italy and, um, Germany, and then we go to... <laughs> You're traveling a little bit. Yes, yeah, so then we're going to Asia, and we're opening in Japan, um, and um, Taiwan, and all the Asian territories, and we've opened theatrically. We're playing right now theatrically, and I just came from Australia and New Zealand, and um, um, we're opening in Hong Kong also in February. So yeah, so we have a... So all around the world, it's opening, and um, you can go to um, our website, you can go to... Um, Dog Wolf, uh, who's our, our 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 website, we're distributed by um, yep. Dog Wolf in the UK, and um, uh, see where we're opening in um, in in their, your country. <laughs> awesome. Well, Roger, congratulations again. Thank you so much for making sure. this film. It's, it's fantastic to see a, a subject matter like this be handled so well. And after watching it the second time, just reminded me how much care and attention was put into the film. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. My pleasure to be there. Be here. Thanks so much for listening to my chat with director Roger Ross Williams about his film, Life Animated. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, THX, a globally renowned brand focused on delivering premium entertainment experiences and is passionate about telling the stories of the creators behind great productions. Find out more at THX.com.